is episode 10 of Edward Reeb's Buddhist Books Podcast. Uh, welcome to those who are listening on a podcast app, and welcome to those who are watching on YouTube as well. If you're watching on YouTube and you'd prefer to be listening on a podcasting app, you can do that. And uh, now everything is cleared with Apple and all that, so all the other apps should be following suit. So you can just look for Edward Reeves Buddhist Books on the podcasting app. You don't even need to type out that URL. Um, and if you're listening to the podcast and you'd prefer to watch, see what I look like, see what my room behind me looks like, there's two Japanese kakejiku, there's a tanka painting painted by my friend Ajay, I think. There's a table with some uh, statues and things and Bhutani flags and course my library sort of bookcase I think yeah I think it's called bookcase right <laughs> including the Buddhist books shelf which is about to uh, multiply into two Buddhist books shelves um, so if this is your first time seeing me on YouTube click here instead and start with episode one of that playlist uh, part one of Dhammapada. It's a good, better place to start. If you're listening to me and you jumped in on this episode, eh, it's probably better to start with the introduction, but, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to you. If you listen to this episode and you want to keep listening for some reason, uh, then start with the introduction. The reason I uh, say that, you know, for some reason is because what the, the material that I'm reading in, this, in these episodes isn't very interesting. I'm uh, waiting for the poly canon, as they say, even though poly means canon. Um, anyway, uh, to arrive, it's coming from London. Uh, I decided to record once more before I leave for a few days. I don't know how many days I'm going to be gone, but I'm leaving Delhi tomorrow. Uh, Priyal and I are just going to a uh, hill station in Himachal Pradesh, and uh, we'll be back, I don't know, in five days, six days, something like that. Should be fun. Looking forward to that. Um, on a personal note, I finally was able to quit smoking cigarettes on February 2nd, and it's now March 11th, I think, which means um, tomorrow night is going to be my first time since 2017 breathing clean air through clean lungs. So I'm looking forward to that. I've forgotten what that uh, feels like. Today's episode is brought to you by... Nice to see. It's a... Twin Peaks thing. Anyway, um, oh, one more thing. Uh, my friend Ryan at Praxis Behind the Obscure, that's card number two, it's a good podcast, um, he had requested that I, that I recite um, the life and liberation of Padmasambhava on Buddhist books. And of course, that's going a little bit out of order, kind of doesn't fit with my bare bones mission plan statement, which is to start at the beginning and move forward. And I'm going to stick with that. But Esoteric Nerd is another podcast that I host, and it's more of a free for all. So the recent episode, I'll just point right to the episode. Um, that's, that's episode 118 of Esoteric Nerd entitled Padmasambhava. If you're interested in jumping into some kind of psychedelic uh, Tibetan Vajrayana stuff, then, you know, check that out. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, this poly literature book that we're reading lately, it's like a textbook, you know, it's like something you would study in school and kind of like 
have to force yourself to stay awake while you're reading, so I have to crack jokes and you know and do things to try to try to make the these episodes interesting while we wait for the polycanon proper to arrive. Um, just a couple of thoughts. I you know I I you might have noticed this is this this is an evolution. Um, I'm a student. Uh, I used to teach. The thing was, I taught before I learned. I mean, in my opinion, I learned a bit. And then I was a teacher. I think I was a teacher from the time I was 19, and I'm 43 now. And I taught for many years, and I had a temple in my house, and I had many students. And um, so you might have noticed that my approach as I do this podcast is to say I am an imbecile. I am a fool. I am an idiot. I am an ignoramus. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Um, I'm just, you know, reading this for myself. It's totally selfish. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing everything I can to tell you, you know, don't think of me as a teacher. Um, and part of the reason for that is because I was a teacher for many years. And uh, some people think I was a good one. I don't know. My dad was a teacher also. And so I, I had the, uh, it was a little bit of a curse because by the time I was five years old, I was talking with authority, speaking with, with this gravitas, like I, you know, had some authority in whatever I was talking about. And I was obviously as ignorant as any five-year-old. And so... Um, so I just sort of gravitated right to teaching and then I left the group I was with and I became a yoga teacher just so I could stay at the front of the class and continue talking and uh, with the podcasts and everything. I don't know. It's it, it's it's you know, everybody's everybody's a unique snowflake. Right. And uh, so but my approach, I, I don't know, I think it's an evolution toward wisdom for me to tell you, you know, uh, don't take what I'm saying seriously. Um, and uh, just enjoy, you know, and uh, if you get something out of it, good. And if you don't, move on. See what else, what else is on, you know. Um, so that said, you might, if, you're, if you've been keeping up or if you've heard the, even just the last episode or, or the last few episodes, you might have noticed that I, uh, you know, I, 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 I've been speaking uh, sort of negatively about the Lotus Sutra lately. And, and I, I, again, apologize to people who love the Lotus Sutra and Mahayana Buddhists everywhere and, and uh, <laughs> Tenzin and all the, all the, uh, is that right? Tendai? Well, anyway, all the different uh, forms of Buddhism, which are like founded on the Lotus Sutra. I, I've, I've drawn the comparison to uh, the Book of Mormon and uh, Joseph Smith and, and, uh, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints in Christianity as, as, as like sort of a parallel with, with the Lotus Sutra. I used to draw the comparison. Um, I, I mean, they, they, there, there are some correspondences like where Theravada is like early Christianity and Mahayana is more like Constantinian Christianity. And, uh, Vajrayana is, is sort of like the Book of Mormon and, and, uh, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints and stuff like that. I mean, kind of, very loosely. Obviously, there are a lot of differences, but I mean, as far as, as far as the evolution of the religion, or not evolution, that's the wrong word because it implies that it's getting better. <laughs> I don't mean to imply that it's not getting better uh, or that it's getting better. I just mean like stages of development that something is going through over the course of thousands of years, basically, right? 
Um, so, so yeah, but as far as, as far as Mormonism and the Lotus Sutra, things that they have in common is that both historical revisionism, with all respect, it's a fact, and I don't think that anyone would deny that. Um, and uh, so, I mean, you know, you could say, well, they're, they're visions directly from the heavens of truth that differ from the historical records that, okay, it's historical revisionism, divine historical revisionism, or just historical revisionism. That's a matter of opinion. Um, <clears throat> and they both have inspired beautiful architecture. And they both have uh, inspired a lot of people to be their best selves. And they both inspired people's grandparents who have moved on and, and passed on and who, who we give great respect to, you know, ancestors in Utah and ancestors in China and wherever else in the world, uh, Japan and, you know, what have you. Um, so that's where, that's where I guess my, my feeling of conflict comes in, where you know, I guess it's not really conflict. I'm just, I guess it's a clarification. And I mean, inside the Lotus Sutra, it says, you'd better love the Lotus Sutra or you're going to the Avicii Hells. And that that's obnoxious, but it's like a lot of things that were written 2000 years ago are obnoxious, right? Um, most things really, it's, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find something that wasn't. Sure, there's a few parts of Nag Hammadi that are like pretty golden. Thunder the Perfect Mind, for instance. Um, anyway, what's my point? My point is, when I was reading uh, the Padmasambhava work, it, it was—it's clear that Lotus Sutra, as you know, however disrespectful it may have been to Theravada, it impacted Buddha uh, Buddhism from that point on, from that point forward. It was a foundational document that uh, that laid the foundation for to Vajrayana in Tibet and Vajrayana in uh, Japan and Vajrayana in India, which was unfortunately wiped out by the Mughal emperors and Vajrayana in, uh, in China, which was unfortunately wiped out by the Maoists, you know, uh, but, um, yeah, you know, all these, all these interesting and beautiful human expressions, uh, of, of religious practices and ideas and poetry and, and these astral visions and metaphors and, you know, whether it be just absolutely beautiful and, and divine or, or kind of problematic and odd uh, and everything in between. Um, from a Kabbalistic perspective, for those of you from that world who are listening, I guess it would all be going on kind of in the astral. Um, it scarcely touches Bria. The, occasionally it, it, it touches that third world up, um, you know, but the idea of course is to, it like the, the archer shooting the arrow directly upward to reach all the way to Keter, to, to unite uh, with the highest and to, to embody the, the pure divine light that is without form and to be in touch with that and present with that while in a physical body and all the other stuff as Lotus Sutra Buddha put it, is toys, whether it be a deer vehicle, a goat vehicle, or a bullock vehicle. And uh, further, like the realms where there's like golden checkerboards and things like that. I mean, I haven't read the Pali Canon yet, so maybe, maybe he talks about golden checkerboards in the Pali Canon, but 
I have a feeling he doesn't. I have a feeling that was something that was uh, originated in the uh, Lotus Sutra and carried over and carried on into Vajrayana and inspired Padmasambhava and inspired the people who developed upon the teachings that he brought to Tibet and inspired so many visions and so many beautiful paintings, Tonka paintings and and, and statues and the way that the temples are built and the, the colors of the Tibetan temples all kind of owe uh, something, a little something to, to the vision behind the Lotus Sutra. And so I guess I just, I want to let you know that my point of view is evolving. It's, it's, it's growing and changing and sometimes it kind of swings back to, ah, it's, it's just, it just disregards all the original actual teachings of the Buddha. But on the other hand, as I'm learning more and more, it was uh, also similar to how Joseph Smith in the story, uh, you know, was confused because you have the Catholics and the Orthodox and you have these Protestants and those Protestants and Seventh-day Adventists over here and you have these, these people over there. And so finally he just got on his knees and prayed and the angel Moroni came and said, ah, Christianity is, is totally screwed up and you need to bring it back. And so he started the Church of Mormon. So similarly, uh, the author of the Lotus Sutra, apparently, um, looking at all the schisms and all the infighting and all the, you know, well, this lineage and that lineage of Theravada just finally said, look, let's just get, he's saying, let's get to the point. I'm saying, let's get to the point, but I'm looking for a different point than what he was pushing forth in his time. I assume it was a he, of course, you know, if we've seen Zena, it may have been... Anyway, um, Lao Tzu's wife, you know, obviously Lao Tzu is a different religion, but okay. What am I saying? I'm just, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying a whole lot of nothing. And that is the mission of this podcast is to, for me to talk a lot, for you to listen for some reason. Thank you. But, uh, you know, uh, it, the best thing for you to do would be to turn it off right now and uh, just meditate in silence. So I'll, I'll pause for a moment and give you the opportunity to make that choice. Just go ahead and turn it off. Go meditate in silence. All right, if you're still with me, then uh, you get to dive into this book with me. <clears throat> and then uh, I'll be back probably in a week at the most. And we will continue, and then hopefully all those other books will arrive and we will jump ship from this textbook and we'll jump ship from this silly non-translation of Sasana Vamsa and we'll find a good place to start in the Pali Canon. Okay. <clears throat> Although it is not certain whether the whole Tipitaka was known there at that time, just picking up right where we left off. The Sasanavamsa refers to inscriptions stating that King Anuruddha established the religion in AD 1057. Okay. Uh, after conquering the town of Sudhama or Taton, he had the Tipitaka brought from Ceylon and compared with that from Sudama, 
Communication with Ceylon at this time is confirmed by a report in the Mahavamsa that King Vijayahahu, finding that there were not enough ordained monks in Ceylon to hold the Upasampada ceremony, asked Anuruddha to send monks to hold the ceremony and to recite the Tipitaka. In the following century, when Parakamabahu, I, or okay, the first, <laughs> just giving context, it looks, it's an, it's an I, it's a capital I, which in this case means Roman numeral one, which means that he had a kid or something, a grandkid, who knows, who had the same name, Anyway, let's start that sentence again. In the following century, when Parakamabahu I became king, he found that Buddhism in Ceylon was still rent by heresy. Hmm. Huh? If you clicked that card, oh, okay, those who are listening are uh, not going to know what I'm talking about, but that's, that's an orchestral rendering of schism by two. Okay. Enough of that. He accordingly called a council under Mahakasapa. Mahakasap, Mahakasyap, remember? Mahakasyap. And had them settle, not the same one, different one. Like I said, billion people, ten names. And uh, had them settle the points in dispute, and thus managed to reconcile the three main sects in Ceylon at that time. Ooh, that's pretty cool. Reconciliation, ecumenicism, I like it. Uh, we read in the Jinnakalamali that in AD 1430 AD, that means CE, for those of you who are watching uh, from the present or the future, A.D. Anno Domine. Anno Domine, 1430. 1430 years after the birth of Christ the Lord. Yeah, we go with common era. Yes, yes, Rome took over the world. Yes, yes, they became Christian because they felt bad that they killed Jesus. So we'll call it common era because it's the common era. It's the most common calendar. But we don't need to call it the Jesus calendar. I mean, if you're Christian, by all means, call it Anno Domine. When I'm writing in certain contexts, sometimes I say the year of our Lord, you know. But we're talking about Buddhism. So A.D.? Come on, that's as silly as putting Hinayana on the cover of this book. Anyway. <clears throat> the uh, And it's an older book. That CE thing, that was like part of the, the PC movement, I think. The movement to like try and make everything... Take, take out all the microaggressions from everybody's speech that people are so upset about. Oh, you mean I can't say boop anymore? Um, the uh, the Stalasana was brought to Siam, and not long after, in 1475, uh, or somewhere between there and 1477, According to the text, that's not long after 1430, unless you're a human. That's 45 to 47 years. Come on, not long after my 
behind. A council, no, okay, generally speaking, in a, in a broad view of time, ge geologic time, it's like a nanosecond later, right? A council was held in Siam at which the three Pitakas were cleansed of scribes' errors, in quotes, <laughs> Quote, cleansed of scribes' errors, end quote. Ooh, I would like to cleanse so many things of scribes' errors. Did you know that that whole stoning the adulteress thing was added like 130 years after the original uh, copies of that gospel, for instance? By great elders, I mean, not that it's a bad story. I mean, like the Lotus Sutra, there's good parts, you know. Anyway. Um, by great elders appointed to uh, for the task, who were well versed in the Tipitaka. You might have noticed there's not a lot of sound outside because it's uh, it's almost one a.m. now. It's the sort of guy, sort of sort of couple we are, as we we're just wide awake in the middle of the night. <laughs> Um, and then people come, and then we order things on Amazon, and then people come and ring the bell at 8.30 a.m., and I come to the door in my shorts with my hair all messed up and my eyes barely open. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, pew. That's short for Priel, my wife's name. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, pew, 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 you know. And I'm like, yes, 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 it's me, it's me. And uh, so I was telling her today I want to get, like, you know, one of the nice pictures of us, like, maybe in our... Made, well, we were both a little chubby when we got married, you know, but, uh, you know, maybe like a couple years later after we had gotten a little more fit and uh, an anniversary party, for instance, where we're dressed all formally or something and get a nice, nice size one of that framed and put it over the doorway into the kitchen, which is visible from the front door and frame it, just put it right there. So early in the morning when they come, they go, pew? And they look at me confused, like, you don't look like a pew. I can just point, that's pew, see? That's me, that's pew. Give me the package, gosh dang it. Anyway, mm-hmm. See, that's, that's, what, that's, that's an example of me interjecting with something entertaining. Otherwise, it would just be me reading this stuff. Which maybe you're here for that, and I, if so, I apologize. You can get a copy of this. You know, it's A History of Indian Literature, Volume 7, Poly Literature. Volume 7, FASC 2. Is there a FASC 1? Maybe. I don't know. I bought this, and I bought one other uh, from the History of Indian Literature. Maybe in the future, maybe, if I live long enough to read all the Buddhist books, and I might dive into uh, the Vedas finally, or you know maybe at the same time, you know maybe I could dive in. Who knows? Once I once I get into the flow of reading, see I did too many years of YouTube and Facebook and before that video games and socializing and all this, and I just my brain isn't used to reading. I I know that there's like kids that got you know aced the SATs and everything when I was in school and. And uh, you can name any word and they, you know, will be able to spell it and give the definition. I just wasn't one of those kids. I was, I was a bad kid. Well, you know, one of those kids that's like, he's very bright, but he's, he just needs motivation. And it's like, well, I had motivation, but it wasn't to do that. It was motivation to do a lot of other things, you know, drama and cults and what have you. You know, Wicca in the woods when I was like 15 instead of homework. Uh, so... Now that I'm 
you know, here in India in my 40s and married and settled and stable and everything, I decided I'm going to become a guy who reads. So maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll do this Buddhist book series and then when I'm not recording, I can dive into the Vedas and then uh, maybe, the, maybe even the Upanishads. I'm going to eventually need to get some more space for books. I mean, I'm already going to need more space for books. See, there wasn't even enough space for the Osho books. Poor Osho. He's like outside, like, okay, you you go outside. But I'm going to get all these polycanon, and then what am I going to do? I'm going to take my own books and, you know, I'll have a, a section for all my copies of Taco and all my copies of Small Mouse and, and uh, Thomas and the Wolf and everything. Um, anyway, at some point I'll have to get another bookshelf. Especially if I start thinking about getting the Upanishads. But yeah, so I was thinking, like, what if I got the rest of this? Why would I do that? I already know what I'd be getting. But, I mean, the information is good. It's just sort of like, like I said, dry and textbook-like. Let's finish a couple sentences, and then I'll read, like, one sentence out of Sasadavamsa so that I can just copy-paste the description from the previous episode, and I don't have to, like, revise it. Uh, that says that we read from this and we read from that, right? Because we're at 26 minutes already. All right. Because I talked a lot in the beginning. Um, <laughs> they brought with them the books of various sorts. Uh, necessary to establish the Upada. Did I say all that? No, I didn't. Um, at the, in the case of Burma, okay, well-versed in the Tipitaka. As in the case of Burma, the traffic was not all one way. In 1756, so 300 some odd years after what we were talking about just then in the previous sentence, Buddhism had declined to such a state in Ceylon that it became, a nece it became necessary to reestablish the Upasamapada, and monks were invited from Siam to do this. Well, that's a very interesting sentence. We'll pick up where we left off next time, and we'll jump in. Remember, it started getting all French with no English translation. So there's this is Burmese. See, Sasanavamsa. On Amazon, it says Sasanavamsa English version, right? So this is Sasanavamsa in Burmese. All of this. That's what all of this is. And then this tiny little bit in the beginning is an English commentary, apparently by people who have read Sasanavamsa in English, but they didn't bother to put it in the book. Or they read it in Burmese, and then, and, then, and then when they're quoting somebody who said something in French, they just put the French quote in and then move on. So, <clears throat> picking up right where we left off in the previous episode. Quote, Ko Haripunjapura fut dans la haute Laos, la station, I know I've read this before, I'm just starting at the beginning of the quote. La plus reculier vers la, uh, vers, vers, I don't know, uh, if you pronounce the S in V-E-R-S, la fro, I apologize to any French people that might be listening to this, by the way. Please accept my apology. Oh my God. Please don't, don't come find me in the night. Um, Frontiere de la Chine. Oh, that's China. I know that one. Uh, et sans dont, 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 nous, that's us, avant, that's have, la, 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 la capitale, that's like maybe to or toward the capital, I don't know. Uh, du, um, uh, 
du yavanadesa. So we got like Sanskrit or Burmese in the French quote, but no English translation. Love it. I love this book so much. It's a photocopy of something from the Polytech Society, so I should be a little bit worried about what this mountain of books is that I'm going to be getting. Anyway, from the Polytech Society. Okay. Qui du temps de la colonisation? Not a very good word. Brahmanic comprenneur. La contrée du haut Melchong probablement, that's like probably, they came a thousand years ago and took over England and made everybody speak French for like a hundred years. You remember that? You rem remember with your memory? Me too. Past lives. Uh, anyway, uh, tout le partier longuant la frontière or frontier, it's, it's in there. That, I mean, a lot of it, it's not like it's been anglicized. It's like that's how they pronounced it a thousand years ago. Charles was the thousand years ago French for Charles. They, they changed it in France, but we kept it the same in England. We, yeah, I'm English, right? Anyway, 12 generations in the US, in case you were wondering. First generation in India. First of one, I don't plan on spawning little ones, but who knows? Nature is funny that way. Life finds a way, right, Jeff Goldblum? Um, we'll see. Probably not. Uh, de la Chine entre Chiang Mai et le Tonkin, end quote. And then there's some stuff in parentheses. Should we read it? Sure. Memoir et document de la mission Paul V, Paul V, something, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Mission Pavi. All right. So in other words, uh, memoirs and documents of the mission Pavi. Double parentheses. So, uh, oh, and then open, okay, so we got open parentheses, memoir et document de la mission Paul V, open parentheses again, Ed M. Pavi et F. Lafevre Pontalis, close parentheses, page 144. And I guarantee they are not going to close the first parentheses. So we got open parentheses, open parentheses, close parentheses, and then the rest of the book, the whole rest of the book, and all life unto the ages of ages is inside the parentheses of that first parentheses. Guarantee it, because that's just how it is. Aren't you glad you didn't turn this off and meditate? Do you feel enlightened yet? Oh, me too, me too. Okay, that's all for our show for episode 10 of the Pali Scriptures portion of Edward Reeves Buddhist Books podcast on your favorite podcasting app or platform and YouTube, right? And uh, whatever form this is in in the future, hello from the past. How far in the future are you? This is uh, 2022 common era that I'm speaking to you from, unless Christianity comes back in a really big way, in which case it's 2022 Anno Domine. 
you for tuning in. And uh, we'll go ahead and close in the usual manner. And then I'll talk to you again in a, a week or so. All right. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us, and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Thank you for going on this ride with me. Until next time.